check. Volume, volume check. Mic check. Peak pop, peak pop, peak pop, pox, peak pop. Pox, pox and peeps. Pop, pop, pop. Peeps. Peeps. Marshmallow peeps. Not good. I love them. Oh, oh man. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna have, we're gonna have words about those. But first, we're gonna have words about uh, this, our third episode. We've made it. We've made it to the third episode. This is our junior year here at Podcast High. And uh, and I think I think we're finally starting to to get our sea legs, uh, sea legs in the podcast. Sea legs a lot of mixed metaphors here. It, we're in high school. Look, try to keep up. We, we, look, we're we're seasoned pros now. We're <laughs> this is the, this is our third episode, and we've got a treat for you. Do you like heists? Do you like petty larceny? Do you like grand larceny? Do you like armed robbery? I mean, who doesn't? Who among us doesn't? Uh, do you like fiduciary irresponsibility? Oh, boy, do I. So we're going to review a few games that loosely have a common theme of thievery slash swindling. Just, and just straight up smash and grab. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of family games. We've got uh, Stop Thief and uh, Clue, the Great Museum Caper. And then we also have Ponzi Scheme. If you just like... Death by a thousand cuts. Who doesn't? Five hundred cuts. Sure, seven fifty. I mean, I guess that's a little bit. But a thousand cuts. Man, you haven't really died until you've died from a thousand cuts. Then after that, we decided to just go ahead and just go whole hog and try to review our first uh, of multiple ones we have on our shelf. Our first Vital Lacerda game, Escape Plan, which I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, you'll you'll dig it. Hopefully, you'll be able to get a good feel for the game despite not actually being able to see the board or any of the components. We don't go through all the rules, don't worry. Oh, no, no, no. We gotta keep this under an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, here we go. Enjoy. Sometime in the early 1900s, Charles Ponzi showed up with uh, 250 in his pocket and a million dollars in hopes. And dreams. He had apparently discovered some kind of a loophole where you could purchase the return postage when you mail a letter to somebody in a foreign country. And sometimes there would be a slight discrepancy in the price of the postage that could then essentially be sold as a stamp in the other country. And that was the glimmer in his eye that turned into what ultimately became this board game. (laughs) Ponzi scheme. (laughs) This board game, exactly. Ponzi scheme. Yeah, there's a direct line. From this to this board game. From International Reply Coupons to Ponzi Scheme the Board Game. Ponzi Scheme the Board Game. You know, it occurred to me while we were discussing that. uh, We can't say turn of the century anymore uh, because it is 2021, 2022. Now it's actually just rolled over into 2022. What's the word for the before like the previous return of the century? The the, uh, The, the pre-turn of the century. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's probably a word for that. We'll yeah. figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll get back to you. You hold us accountable to that, dear listener. The game we are talking about now is Ponzi Scheme by uh, Tasty Minstrel Games. Sad news to report. Uh, I do believe Tasty Minstrel has gone under, uh, which is unfortunate. Could they not pay back their investors? Uh, I Look, I'm... I'm we are not a news reporting service. We are not <laughs> reporting any facts, allegations, or otherwise. That was purely a humorous comment. Please do not sue us. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, it's it's hard out there for a board game publishing company, and I'm assuming, like a lot of companies, they had a hard time maybe with the current global pandemic, maybe some overextension. I have no idea. Do they have any other games? I tell you what, um, I will list those games 
right now. Boop. Yokohama Village at the gates of Loya. Gugan Amunre Coliseum Aquasphere Belfort Luna Scoville Eminent Domain Homesteaders Gold West Chimera Station Rialto Ponzi Scheme. Oh man, that was a lot of good games in that list. Uh, <laughs> so Ponzi Scheme, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a game about taking out loans to pay for other loans and you just do that over and over and over again. And hope that you aren't the person who goes bankrupt first. Yep, so let's lay out a little bit of a overview of how the game works. At the beginning of the game, nobody starts with any money and this this kind of wheel of time. It's more like a hexagon of time. It's a hexagon of time. <laughs> and this hexagon of time is gonna keep track of the loans you're gonna take over the course of the game. And at the end of every round, it's gonna turn ticking closer and closer to when these loans that you take over the course of the game are gonna need to get paid off. So all of the loans have an amount that you get now when you take the loan. Like $12. Mm -hmm. An amount that you have to pay back. $11. And when you have to pay it back. Every five turns. Great. Forever. Mm -hmm. And they all have this, and that's one of the good ones. Yeah, here's $25 now, $27 in four turns, and every four turns, forever. Grab one of those red ones. $76 now, $136 in three turns, and every three turns, forever. So as you can imagine, these things really start to mount up. The yep. loan taking and the yep. loan paying back is a big part of the game, and ultimately it's going to be what ends the game too when you can't pay the loans, when the dial turns. Yeah. But the points mostly come from this other piece of the game, which is... I guess the stocks that you get from investing in the four business types. I just like to think of them as abstract business tokens. Yeah, they're basically little angled pieces with a cool design in a certain color, green, red, blue, or gold. Yeah, we call that a chevron. It's like I, a, I it's refer like a to green. them as chevrons. They look like chevrons. So the the point of the game, uh, that's, like double, that's like double pun intended. That's point, a double chevron. pun. Double chevrons dinger. are pointy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so the point of the game is that this money that you are getting with these loans, you are using to uh, buy these business tokens, these abstract business tokens. There's red business, there's gray business, there's green business, and there's gold business. The easiest way to get these business tokens is just on your turn, you just take one. They're all available in a common supply, and you just take one. Every time you take a loan, you also take a business token. Yep. And the loan that you can take is dictated by the number of business tokens you have of that color. So if it's the first time you're taking a red business token, you are compelled, you must take one of the three of the cheapest loans. So the, the $12 loan that we maybe talked about earlier. If you take your second of that color on your turn, you then have, have to take one of the three middle loans. And if you are taking your third, you have to take one of the three more expensive loans. And all these loans are on kind of this, this grid, this three by three grid. And anytime someone takes a loan, that they pick that loan off the grid and it gets replaced and everything gets shuffled in ascending order so you'll have your $10 loan in the upper left of the grid and you'll have your $100 loan in the lower right of the grid. Mm -hmm. So that's the easiest way to get these abstract business tokens. Um, but once you've taken your third of a certain color, you can't get any more. The only way to get them is by trading. Is by trading, and that's the second half of the game. So first, everyone goes around and gets their opportunity to take one abstract business token. And one loan. And one loan. Then you do what's called clandestine trading, and that's where this really cool leather envelope comes into play. I can't tell if it's real leather. Is it, what do you think? You're the fabric expert. 
She's giving her assessment right now. Oh, she's doing the smell test. No. Not Doesn't real leather? Doesn't pass the smell test. Okay, so we think it's fake leather. Pleather. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose given that this game is Ponzi scheme, the fact that it's a fake leather wallet. Very appropriate. Probably appropriate. So what you'll do is if it's your turn to, to attempt a clandestine trade, um, I have to pick a player who has the same tokens that I do, at least one of the same tokens that I do. I'm looking over here at Laura. I see that she has red tokens. I have red tokens. And I, and I take a secret amount of money. We all have player screens, and the money we have is kept secret. And I secretly s- drop a couple of bills in there, and I kind of toss it over the table at her, and I say, hey, I'll take one of those red tokens from you. So at this point, I have two choices. Mm. Either I accept the money and give Paul my red token for whatever he's tucked in that billfold, or I pay him that again back to him and must take his. So there is always going to be an exchange of a chevron anytime a trade is made because either the deal is agreed to or you have to buy your opponent's token instead for the price that they offered for yours. So the tension comes in, uh, do I highball? Do I lowball? Do I want the token? Do I secretly not want the token? What I really want is for them to... Uh, reject my offer and then pay me because I've got $150 in loans coming up in a couple of turns and I might be willing to, to slough off some of these red tokens to other people. The problem is, is that at the end of the game, uh, these tokens are worth not just like one point each. They scale like dramatically. It's the big way to get points. You can get a little bit of pointage from the money that you have, but it is not a lot by comparison to the Chevron points that the you get. The Chevron points. You'll get like one point for one of a color. You'll get three points for two. You'll get six points for three. and Ten I, points for for four. I think that's called like triangular scaling. 15. I'm not a math scientist. I don't even know what they call those <laughs> A guys. math scientist? A math scientist. But the game ends when one person goes bankrupt. Or, and then everybody stops. Or multiple or people. Multiple people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as soon as someone, at least one person goes bankrupt, game is over. Bankrupt person can't win. They're out, no matter how many points they have. They're out. And then whoever has the the most points wins. Of the people who didn't go bankrupt. Of the people who didn't go bankrupt. It, they count up their Chevron points. Um, there is some points for leftover cash on hand. There, there, there are some luxury tiles you can buy. I'm not even going to talk about them because I don't understand. I'm, I'm, There's only four of them. They're very expensive, and you need your money over the course of the game. So it's we're not really sure what the advantage is to buying them. They don't give you any extra points or anything. So, dear listener, forget the last 15 seconds Never of this happened. discussion actually happened. It's a really good game. It's a nice balancing act. Really, the whole thing is a balancing act between you know taking the loans you need to have so that you can get the chevrons that you need to have so you can participate in the trading but also being able to move chevrons away out of your hand to get money when you need it or to buy them ultimately when you see that the end is near so that you have some number of points in your hand i really like this game and i am terrible at it (laughs) yeah i'm really bad at it too i'm going to tell you dear listener if you're listening to this and i hope you are uh, and you're just like, oh, math. Oh, God. And you're and you're getting ready to run screaming from wherever you are. Hopefully not your car in the, on the freeway going at like 50 miles an hour. Do not run screaming from your car going 50 miles an hour. <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this. You're about to tell them. Like, well, it even says here on the back, can I use a calculator? You are free to use calculators, but that doesn't really help. Strangely, 
players using calculators tend to have a higher chance of losing and bankrupting. Well, we have a literal case in point in this. We have played this a few times recently in maybe the past couple of months. And two times our artist friend who literally sits here and doodles in her sketchbook when it's not her turn <laughs> has won the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh dear sweet Anne. Uh, we love her to death, and both times she has paid almost zero attention to the goings-on around the table <laughs> and has managed to win. The first time she won, it's because all three of us, the other three players, went bankrupt on the exact same turn because of something we forgot to mention. Sometimes, if enough of a certain type of loan is populating that 3 by 3 grid we were talking about earlier, sometimes that can trigger what's called the bear market. Where your dial has to move not one, but two times. I mean, time moves end. twice as fast. So that loan you thought you had two turns to pay off, you actually have to pay off now. And that's what happened with that first game that she won, where everyone at the table went bankrupt except for her. And I, I think she had like a dollar left. But because she was the only one standing, she won. And then in the second one, we had someone on the table who flew too close to the sun and had something like six or seven chevrons in one company. Oh, it was me. I had so many chevrons. I was so the many. queen of red. Queen of red. And but she just she went bankrupt. She flew too close to the sun and had a lot of money due and just couldn't pay it off. And that meant that Anne had the most points. It came down to me and our friend Anne. And I had seven points and Anne had 10 and that was it. I got to say, math has never been so hilarious. <laughs> uh, the game lasts probably about seven rounds, I think, is the, is, is the most. We play this like four or five times. About seven or eight rounds is about as long as it yeah, lasts. Yeah, it's a fast game. It yeah. gives you a little bit of uh, anxiety, but in a very short-term kind of way. So it's satisfying. Yeah. The trading aspect is really fun because you can take offense at what people give you Yo, or yeah, you get could... excited about what people give oh, you. So Sir, sir, this is an insult. And yet I'll take it. And yet it. I'll take it because <laughs> I need the money. And dear listener, if, you, uh, if you're interested in this game, I, uh, I've got a lead on one for you. Uh, I can, you just give me some money, right? And I can get you uh, some copies of this game. And if you can sell those at, some, at some, some kind of profit, you just kick back a little bit to me. And then you can get those people to sell copies of Ponzi Scheme to other people. So listen to our next review, Pyramid Scheme. <laughs> Great. Now now no one's going to want to get in on this. And now, a story from renowned thief, Dolores Ake. Well, I was just out at my favorite department store Swinner tins when I saw this pair of gloves I simply must have. So I nabbed them, and then I walked, and then I walked again, and then I opened a door, and then I walked, and then just for the heck of it, I thought I might smash a window and climb outside. I was just about to get an ice cream cone from the nice man right there, one of those smurf-shaped ones, when- Stop! Thief! Oh, no. Perfect. Stop Thief. This is a game I had when I was a kid. The box, in fact, says the 1979 classic. Now, I was born in 1978. I will tell you I was not playing this game uh, when, when you were I was one, one year old. Mm. I do recall having it when I was about five or six, though. 
and not really fully understanding the game and not really truly understanding it until I was seven. <laughs> did you win? Who did you play with? It's a blur back then. Mm-hmm. That was definitely multiples of decades ago. And honestly, I think I played with my dad. And I don't remember how well I did. <laughs> I do remember, I do have strong attachments to this game feeling pretty smart, uh, figuring out where the thief was. I'm sure the... I don't know how often that was. Car phone-sized device <laughs> that apparently came in the box back in the 80s was part of the appeal, too. Yeah. Dear listener, I do encourage you to look this game up. I don't know if... how You probably just look it up on your portable information device that you're probably also using to listen to this recording. Speaking of your portable information device, this game, and it's now newly restored edition... This is second edition. Mm. <laughs> Here we oh, are. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> what, 30-some-odd years later, second edition. There you go. 40. 40? Yep. 40-some-odd years later. That would be the number. So it's an app-driven game. Essentially how it works is that you are a detective, and you are competing with the other detectives to catch the thief. The thief will commit a crime in one of the four buildings on the board, and then you will have audio clues to determine where they move. So commit a crime, maybe you'll hear steps, maybe you'll hear a door creak open, maybe you'll hear glass shatter, maybe you'll hear the sounds of the street or the subway, and you have to use the map on the board and the the way that you know the thief must move to figure out where he or she has gone. Yeah, the old version was a roll and move. When it was your turn, roll a dice and then move that many spaces. Uh, This new second edition, the new shiny second edition, gives you a hand of cards to use. And with those cards come some special abilities. So depending on the detective you're playing, maybe you have the ability to climb through windows and other people don't. Or you have the ability to get... Move more. move, Move further distances more often. Or you can... Uh, get a secret tip more often than everybody else. A tip being the game literally, depending on the difficulty setting, will literally tell you where the thief is or just give you two possible spots or two possible sections in two different buildings. We picked this game up uh, at Barnes & Noble. It was uh, They were having a big fire sale. Everything must go. Uh, remember when I asked about the fixtures? Hey, do you sell them, you sell them the fixtures? Well, everything's 25% off. Uh, I, I don't think she actually knew what I meant by the fixtures. Oh, I'm sure she does by now. She's, right. They're probably selling the fixtures now. They're probably selling the carpet from the floor. I'm afraid to ask what it was you were interested in getting fixture-wise from Barnes & Noble. That's a total separate conversation. We can, well, You know what? We'll just save that for bonus content for our <laughs> Patreon. So maybe our dear listener... <laughs> Our dear listener can give us $100 a month and they can get in, uh, access to our bonus content. Uh, I really liked this game as a kid. Um, as, as Laura, as you know, we have a little baby daughter. Um, I do know that. You were, okay, good. I wasn't sure. I wanted to make sure you were in on that. We have a little baby daughter. She is five months old. She will not be playing this game for, by my math, about seven plus years. Uh, given that the age range on this box is eight. But as you recall, Mr. Child Prodigy here was playing it when he was like six. I think it would be fun to play this perhaps with a younger kid if you play it cooperatively instead of competitively. It's funny you mentioned that. There is a cooperative mode. We did not try it. But, well, near the end we did when we were just experimenting with things. And I'll tell you something, dear listener, this game duped us. One of the modes uh, does not let you replay clues, depending on the difficulty setting. 
and we were sure that there was a crime and then two sets of footsteps and then some broken glass and we're all running over here on one side of the board and if the game were sentient uh first off it would probably be arming the nuclear missiles to end all of humanity to save planet earth um but second it would be chuckling at us because we were literally on the complete other side of the board. And we were so perplexed by this that we just assumed the game was broken. We assumed like, the game was it broken. It had to have been here. Yeah. So then we just started abandoning all the rules and yeah. punching in arrest codes until we finally flummoxed, just uh, gave up, basically. Yeah. Uh, this is a cute game. It's a, I, would, I would definitely classify it as a family game. It's, it's not going it, to... It's this weird... If you try to play it competitively and everyone at the table is of the same brain size, then... Uh, There's every, not a lot of mystery. Not a lot of mystery. Everyone knows, and it really just becomes more of a game of who can play their movement cards more cleverly to get where the thief is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two modes in the game. One way to play the game is whoever captures two crooks wins. Uh, the other way to play the game is whoever makes enough money by arresting, apparently in Crime City... Uh, if you arrest a crook, you get a bonus on your paycheck, and whoever makes enough money to retire uh, can can retire and win the game. If in that mode, if you make a false arrest, you pay the bank a thousand dollars. But if you it's a successful arrest, you'll get however much the the current thief of the day is is worth six thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, seven thousand, eight thousand. All it's more thousands. like a bounty hunter game, really. It's more of a bounty hunter game, but we are detectives. I mean, it does say that I oh. I'm a private investigator, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there it is. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. But yeah, private detector or private in- private detector, <laughs> private investigator, private investigator. Yeah, family game, f- fun time. Um, I would advise uh, not even bothering with the arrest to crooks mode. Um, the app lets you set custom rules. The advanced game gets rid of all the money and lets you uh, uh, you only win if you arrest two crooks, but it does not punish you at all for false arrests. Yep. Not the way to play the game. You need otherwise everyone just ends their turn trying to And then to make might an as arrest. well yeah, you might as well just try and arrest where you are. And why no, not? No, you need you need something to risk. You need some something to lose if you do it wrong. So uh yeah. Stop thief. Fun, fun family game. I'm going to keep it. I don't know if I'll be able to keep it for eight years. I don't know if we will all have handheld technology devices in eight years. At that point, we may just be plugging things directly into our brain sockets. But in the short term, we have some friends with a kid who is, you know, in the four, five, six age range. And and might actually find it interesting in yeah, a couple of years. A couple of years. Uh, I think it'll stay on the shelf until then. It's a small profile box. Maybe go in the little closet that I have with a bunch of other things, like the little miniature particle accelerator that I'm building for our daughter. <laughs> the same closet that has all the other games that are no, quote unquote It's expansions. nothing but particle. I got rid of all of them. It's nothing but particle mm-hmm. accelerators mm-hmm. now. You need one for each particle. Don't question it. Don't put that in. <laughs> Too late. So it's a dark and stormy night. We're enjoying some capers at this great museum. We're here to view the art exhibit of one Mr. Body. Not sure if he's dead yet, but we'll deal with that later. Suddenly the lights go out. Suddenly three of the paintings go missing. And then the lights come back on. Nobody's dead. But there's a drafty window. But there's a drafty window. 
someone has capered their way out of this museum. Bum, 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 bum. It's Clue, the great museum caper. Did you know that in Great Britain, in the Isle of the Brits, they call it Cluedo? This game is called Cluedo? Uh, the Clue property. Cluedo, C-L-U-D-O. Why? Uh, I read about it, and it is because it's like Clue, but also Ludo, which is a, 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 like a prefix meaning games, like ludography or ludology. There you go. The Brits are so much smarter than us. Knowledge corner. Mm. So this is uh, Clue, the great museum caper. This is a game from my childhood. From your childhood. You played it a lot. Um, did, how old were you, roughly? Oh, gosh. Uh, like interestingly, sing- single digits? We actually didn't own this game. This is a game that my friend you... Courtney owned. Oh. And it was so much fun to play it with her family. She had two sisters. So we always, whenever I went over there, we had four people to play games. Yeah. Uh, and it was super fun. I loved being the thief. Uh, I would say probably ages of maybe 10 and up. 10 and up. Let's talk a little bit about the game, and then we can talk about why you liked it as Look, a kid. Look, the box so says 10 and up. The box does say 10 and up. Very good. So <laughs> I'm glad, because if you had been any younger, then they would have, Oof. yeah, they would have museum capered you right out of there. Lights would have gone off, and you would have been gone missing. Well, Courtney's younger sister did play. Mm, well, so. I mean, I suppose statute of limitations has probably <laughs> expired on that. So this is a cooperative game. It's a cooperative mm-hmm. game, one versus many. One versus many. Hidden movement game. Yep. It was my first introduction to the hidden movement genre. It continues to be one of my favorites. And it is, it's called Clue. It's part of the Clue universe. universe. Yeah, the mythos, <laughs> the Clue cinematic universe. But it is nothing like no. uh, the classic Clue. No. So essentially what you have here, there is this color-coded room piece, which is part of the Clue universe kind of. that exists here as well. So but you have a, a map, this big plastic map that's shaped like a plus, like a big cross, right? With a center room. It's a honking piece of plastic. It's a honking piece. It is, it is pretty honking. So you've got this big white room in the center of the cross, and then you have some colored rooms around on each of the, the little limbs of the cross, except for one of them has a couple of smaller rooms, which has the power room in it. Mm-hmm. What else do you have? You have got paintings. Yeah. And this is really nice. This is one of the things I like about this game is the very tactile nature of it. You have these standy paintings that are actual. You these know, are actual paintings. Famous European works of art. We played this with a friend of ours a couple of nights ago. Who rattled off a bunch of the yeah, he looked at artists it and he was like, immediately. Ooh, haystacks. And none of us had no idea what he was talking about. And then he told us all about haystacks. So... There are these paintings. They're in little standees. They are, you know, visible from both sides. You put them in the rooms, and then you also have these cameras, one through six, that you angle in various ways to try to capture as much of the board as possible in their sightline. And then you have these little lock pieces that are mixed up upside down, so you don't know if they are showing unlocked or locked. Uh, status. So these these plastic lock pieces mm-hmm. on they all look the same from the top and underneath. When you purchase the game, presumably is when you apply the stickers underneath, and they'll either have an L or an O, mm-hmm. uh, indicating that they are locked or that they are open. And then you place them on all the windows and doors that are leaving the main cross of the building. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the gameplay is it's it's pretty standard fare. It's uh, the the thief player has this uh, pad of paper that's a layout of the map 
and they can write down where they've started and all the moves that they take. It'll go something like the thief will move and then player one, and then the thief will move and then player two, and then the thief will move and player three, and around and around and around. You got these two dice you can roll. Mm-hmm. One of them is a movement die, and uh, that's that's pretty standard. You roll that die, and that's how many up to how many spaces you can move. Can you move diagonally? No. So then you have this other die, this white die that has a bunch of eyeballs on it, uh, and a camera, and, and a wiggly and, M, and a wig, the wiggly M. So this is what it tells you what action you can do in addition to your move, and you can take the action before yeah. or after you move. Yeah. So the eyeballs just mean that you get to ask, "Can I see you?" You can see orthogonally. You cannot see through walls. Yeah. Pretty standard fare, like you said. Yeah. Uh, then you have the the wiggly m which is the motion detector where you have to say what color you're on and then you also lastly have this all camera search where you have to announce any cameras that can see you and you also have to let the players know if the power has been cut talk about that in a second and if you have disabled any cameras so that's kind of dear listener if you've played uh, mr jack it's kind of like that where you say how many of these people can see me and and they flip over the ones that you can and they can't see you. Uh, that's kind of the same thing here. Which cameras? Which cameras can see me? You know, a standard move might be positioning yourself in a corner of the hallway where you've got a good sight line down both corridors, and then asking if you can see somebody there. One of the things that I think is super fun when you're playing as the thief in this game is number one, you can cut the power. So there is in one of those two gray rooms that Paul mentioned, the little rooms that do not have the paintings in them usually, there is a power board. And if you end a turn on that space, you can cut the power, which means that you no longer have to answer any questions about the cameras or the motion detectors until the power has been turned back on by one of the players making their way over there. And as you may have noticed from how Paul described the way movement goes with the thief getting to move after every other player's turn, it can take a player a really long time to get across the board to go turn back on the power or to get anywhere specific. So a lot of the game is kind of triangulating because as soon as you land on the the thief, then that is game over for the thief. Yep. What if the thief uh, decides that he's going to be a jerk and, and doesn't tell you that you've landed on him? Well, you don't play with people who play <laughs> That's that right. way. We bounce them right out of the house. In fact, both of the times we played last night, so I was so excited to share this game with Paul. Yeah. It's been on our shelf for a while. Paul found a used copy in a really good condition. It's in really good shape here. It's out of print, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. very out of print. Yeah. So we have this game. It's been sitting on our shelves. We finally got a group together that might be fun to play it with, and I was so excited to be the thief, and... I was doing great. I'd stolen a painting. I had made it out of a really tight pinch. And one of our friends just on a lark decided to go left instead of right out of the room and landed right on me. Didn't even ask if he could see me. Just straight up landed on me. And I had to say, that's where I am. That's where I am. And the game ended that quickly. Uh, we played We played a couple of rounds of this. I can see how enticing it is to play as the thief. Yes. You draw your little path out and, and, and sneak by everyone, and you pilfer some paintings. Uh, when you pilfer a painting, everyone knows that the painting has been pilfered. Uh, so that's going to give people a clue to where you are. When you land on a camera, uh, you're going to secretly mark it as having been disabled. And then when the white die with the eyeball comes up, in addition to being able to, not in addition, mm. alternately being able to ask, can I see you? Or or can can camera two see you? Uh, yes or no. 
And if camera two is disabled, then that's when you have to reveal. Then they say camera two is disabled or they say the power is out. So the last little piece is that at any point, if someone says, can I see you? And the answer is yes, you have to put your gray pawn on the board as the thief and have to play out the rest of the game visible to everyone the whole time, which is how the second game ended. At that point, you just beat feet. You just beat feet getting out of there, maybe pilfer a painting on the way out, but but that's it. Uh, I find it interesting that you announce that the power is out only when someone asks if a camera can see you, as if like the lights aren't already (laughs) off. It's very specific. It's Schrodinger's like Schrodinger's camera. You, they're either on or off, and you you don't really know until you actually try to observe through them. <laughs> uh, great. So great museum caper. Uh, how great? How great is it? Is it as great as you remember? Well, I think since then I have been introduced to other yeah. hidden movement games that I like as much or more. But I still really like it. And I yeah. wish that we'd had a chance to play a good game where there wasn't an accidental stomping. So I'm guilty of having some games from my childhood that are probably not as good as I remember them being. Like Gambler. Like Gambler. We'll cover that at some point. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 that doesn't mean there's not room for it on our shelf. On our shelf are games we have for specific reasons beyond just, uh, kind of like it. Like there needs to be a higher threshold. And I do think treasured childhood board game is a fine reason to keep one on your shelf excellent treasured childhood board game still pretty fun yeah don't let anybody pill for it it's out of print <laughs> you won't know till they're three spaces away uh, we i won't know until i go to look for it and then <laughs> and only then will i realize that the power has been out the entire time Now listen to me, kid, I got a saying. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. That's your saying, like, you say that to yourself? That's my saying, that's my that's my motto. Like multiple times, that that's, whole thing, exactly I, like that? Yeah, what? What's wrong with my saying? I don't know, most people have something like short and punchy, like. Oh yeah, well like what? Like, drop it if it's hot, or. Yeah. You know, time to get out of Dodge. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not one of your short attention span TikTok average heisters who do heists. I got, I, I put thought into my saying and they communicate nuance. You know, it's not an average heist. This Vitalis Erta game. That's true. It's not an average heist. It's a big, long heist that you can't walk away from in 30 seconds if you feel the heat around the corner. <laughs> so we have just wrapped up our third game of escape plan. This is a new Vitala Serta game for us. I'd and like to say that it was the first, uh, the third game was the one we actually played correctly. The first two, we screwed up some big deal things. Yeah. I, well, I think that's to be expected sure. playing Vitala Serta game for the first time. Yeah. It is, there are just, you, you know, dear listener, there's so many little, you know, Things you have to keep track of. Maybe maybe our listener doesn't know. Let's let's give our listener a, a brief introduction to the world of Vital Lacerda games. It sounds like that's something you should do, Paul. Well, Vital Lacerda is a person. Mmm. We're on the right track here. A person who is not like you or me. This person I'm is from another planet because Vital Lacerda's idea of a game. It comes in a giant Eagle Griffin box and weighs 100 pounds 
and has all kinds of little rules that, that really try to make the theme of the game come alive. And so what we have here is uh, Escape Plan. Uh, it advertises itself as 25 minutes per player. I really cannot imagine a full group of five people taking 25 minutes per player. Like, like this would be probably a three-hour, four-hour. No, well, but see, if you do the math on that, five see, times was, 25 minutes I, is about two and a half hours. God. You know, math, <laughs> look, math is not my strong suit. I got by on my looks until just recently. Like, they just, I woke up and they were gone. My looks were gone. So we, on our third play through, did just maybe a little bit over 25 minutes per person. So I believe that that yeah. is totally possible. Yeah. The thing that I think, to me, denotes or is the hallmark of a Vitala Serta game is these multiple action types that you can take per turn. They all seem to have a worker placement aspect to them. Yeah. And they... All, I think, seem to have some kind of penalty for taking the same action as somebody else who's been there right, right ahead of you. This also has that. Yeah. Uh, it also just features several different tracks of things. So if you're not going to follow along behind somebody else and take the penalty, you're never for want of something else meaty to do. Let's, um, let's give a, a quick, a very quick overview of the game. Hopefully one that will not necessarily require our dear listener to actually be looking at a picture of the board. But picture, if you will, dear listener, a big map of hexes. With the biggest, most beautiful hexes oh. maybe you've ever seen in a board game. Handcrafted. Hand, artisan. I, I, that's, no. But hand-sized, hand anyway. Hand-sized. That's right. Hand-sized hexes. Uh, these hexes have some different land types on them. You've got some water, some grass, some industrial, and some commercial areas. Um, the hexes eventually all make their way onto the board uh, and no two games are the same because of the order the hexes come out in and the reason you'd want to put these hexes in different places. So the board changes dynamically from game to game to game. Every hex has two locations on it. Um, these locations can be things like convenience stores where you buy equipment. They can be uh, locations that you have stashed some money or some maybe, they don't really give a whole lot of theme about it. I like to think of it as calling in loans uh, it's, you know, you've got someone who owes you some 50 grand and you, and you're trying to get out of the city and you got to go get that before you take off. Because if you know anything about investments, you got to pay a tax penalty when you withdraw that kind of money. And I'm pretty sure these guys aren't paying capital gains taxes. So <laughs> all of the buildings have some financial benefit to you either yep. now, yep. upfront cash for you to... A small amount of cash right mm-hmm, now. To do... Things that you might need to do to not get caught by the police or to buy things at the convenience store or whatever. Or you can have the uh, investment in your your exit plan. And in fact, the entirety of the game builds up to finding a way to leave the city and whomever leaves the city, not first, dear listener, Mm. but whoever leaves the city with the most money is the winner. There are several opportunities to get a small amount, a small amount of income that you can then use to buy equipment that will help you evade the police, to help you pay for abilities that let you get around the map faster, and to pay for items that will allow you to manipulate your notoriety, which influences how much other players get to send the police after you and how much money you have to pay back to the bank at the end of the game. I feel like we've we've really just like hit you with a fire hose, dear listener, about all the stuff that goes on uh, but really what this is, is it's a game of moving around a map, uh, evading the police, trying to 
uh, cash out some investments and then get yourself to the exit, which you don't actually even know where it is until nearly the end of the game. Mm -hmm. You get start to get an idea around halfway through the game, but you don't really actually know until the very end. And so it's possible you may not even make it to the exit. And if you make it to the exit and you're not the first one there, you're going to have to pay some money in order to get through the roadblocks. And if you can't afford the money, you can't take the exit and you can't win the game. All kinds of stuff going on here. And as we lead into what we think, actually, I'm going to wait. I, Laura's giving me the eyes. She re- looks like, ooh, wait, no, these are no, different the, eyes. The eyes were these are different anticipation eyes. Anticipation of you finishing your sentence so we could talk about our thoughts. Right. I wanted to give it to you first to hear what you had to say first. So I'm actually really excited that we managed to not discuss this game until now, so yeah. we could share our first thoughts. First thoughts. Here you heard it here. here first for thoughts. The recording. Yeah. So I liked it. Yeah. There are things that I really like about it. Sure. And there are things where I think that other Vitalis Herta games do it better. Yep. And I prefer. Well, what do you got? So things that I really like. I, as I have mentioned before, I really love modular map hex playing games a lot. And I like that aspect of gridding everything together and building the map as as the game goes on. I like that very, very much. I typically don't, um, but in this game, I really like how the city builds itself out from the center on out. I, mm-hmm. In this particular game, I dig it. I think it's, it's, a really, it's a really cool feeling to build this city out as you play. And also on that note, in general, if a turn goes normally, you will have three movement points per turn. And one of the cool things about the way that the board is assembled is that as you connect land masses or bodies of water of uh, the same type uh, across multiple tiles, you can get what is essentially one step, one movement point yeah. to slide you. I'm looking at our board right now, and there's this massive lake over there. And you yep. can slide all the way from here, all the way around, way to over there, yeah. in, only spending one movement in point. In one movement. It's this big, giant, citywide slip and slide that you could just get a running start, and you just, you just or like a... Tony Hawk, <laughs> Tony Hawk rail grinding extravaganza, just just surfing your way from one end of the city to the other if you've got enough terrain connecting it. So I like that. That's I cool. like that a lot. Uh, I also like the the buildings and the choices that you have in every time you go to a location. You've got all these kinds of other things that you can do. Yeah. And like many Vitala Serta games, it is important to try to maximize your efficiency. So for example... You need keys to be able to get stuff from the lockers at the convenience store. You have to go to a safe house to get a key before you can go there. However, to unlock the lockers, you also need to have a certain number of folks that you have put in your, I guess it's like a, looks like a denim pocket. <laughs> They're called contacts. They are, sure. they are contacts that you have picked up. Over are we the- sliding their business cards in our pockets or something? Sure. The art design is a little a little questionable for me on that one. But but mm-hmm. nonetheless, you need to have a certain number of them. And you pick them up by going to the other building types. So you have to figure out at what point you're going to get on the hamster wheel. Yep. And I kind of like that part of it, of building the momentum by, by choosing which things you're going to do first so that, that future moves will be more efficient and more productive for you. I like that. Yeah. Uh, would you like to share what you like before I go into some of the stuff I didn't like about it? Uh, I think you're doing a pretty good job of covering it. I think uh, planning your turn uh, one or two turns ahead, um, you don't feel like you're lost too much in it. The time it takes other people. Now, we've only played a two-player game with this mm. th- with this robot third player that happens when you play with a th- two players. 
But I felt like I had just enough time to plan my turn while you were taking your turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't feel like you're just sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting for the actual execution of a turn, which it just kills a big heavy game when you know what you're going to do and whoever's turn it is, they're trying to do what they're doing, but there's just so many pieces to move around and so much stuff to do. I don't, despite all of the stuff on this board, I don't feel like it's, it's overwhelming. Um, I, I, was there anything you wanted to add that you liked? I like the variety of contacts that become available to you over the course of the game. Spies, snitches, fighters, informers, they all do all kinds of cool different things and it feels very thematic where you give a dollar to someone, I guess they're thousands of dollars, not just a dollar. This isn't 1915. You give a thousand dollars to someone and it makes one of the cops go away. Actually, now that I think about it, I don't know if I want to spend too much time trying to figure out how that fits into the theme. <laughs> uh, I think they sometimes they move to another area of the board, and sometimes they just disappear. Uh, but it all fits together. All these puzzle pieces, like all of Vital Lacerda's games, everything fits together. Uh, and like you had said, like just a big giant hamster wheel. Uh, what are the kinds of things we don't like? I have nitpicky things I don't like. Okay. So they're kind of specific game mechanic things that I'm like, eh. Uh, one of them is when you have the ability to move cops around. Specifically, I was thinking about when certain players cross a threshold with their notoriety, any folks who are less notorious than them yeah. can send police in their direction. Now, you can pick up a police person from anywhere on the board sure. and move them anywhere generally closer to that person at all. That to me is a little nonsensical. Like, look, we can write that off. They have, they have, you know, cop tech, like jet packs and comically large spring platforms that they jump on, and it launches them several city blocks. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't really work for me logically, and I think it would, to me, potentially benefit from having a, a movement rule for when you get to move cops around. Sure. Uh, that one's a little sticky for me. I also don't like that in all three of the games where we've played this, if I've had money at the end, I've just haphazardly used all of my tokens that I'd moved over to this part of the board. There's a part of the board where you can slowly start to unlock uh, extra slots for yourself by moving tokens out of the way and placing them on a different place on your board where then you, then you can spend money to flip them over and get a small special ability. They are worth money at the end of the game. Yeah. So it's advantageous to you if you have extra money just to spend a little money just to flip them, even if you're not going to use them. Yeah. Solely because it gets you some extra change. It does kind of feel like that near the end of the game, you're, I need to figure out how to spend $5 so that I can get back $20. Uh, but, but also I need to be able to exit. So I have to keep 10 of those dollars. And you start, yeah, it does start to feel a little a little mathy near the end to try to figure out how to maximize. Um, and that's not to say that Vitala Serta games aren't mathy or efficient like that. Most of the time it doesn't, it's not quite so brazenly calculator-centric. Mm-hmm. But that's not a big problem at all. On the scale of 1 to 10 with, you know, 1 being this game doesn't even have a rule book. It's just a box of rocks and toothpicks and and there's figure out the game this problem is this problem we're describing is is very tiny i mean if you yeah you would be lost before you even 
consider this problem we're describing to be a real problem. Like you would have given up if if this is not the type of game for you, you would have given up on this game long before. It's that. just not elegant. That's yeah. really my my complaint. There's yeah. these couple of little things that I have make it not an elegant game. And having played others of his that I think are better at that, one of the the big things where I think this one does not do as good of a job as a similar mechanic in other games is the efficiency piece. I really like some of his other games for the ability to do more things in a location if you kind of better plan ahead. And this one feels like it takes a little bit longer to get that hamster wheel going. And you only have nine turns unless you're getting extra turns. It's not very many moves. And you don't just accidentally stumble into them. Um, Everyone you, you can get, you get nine turns. You can get a 10th turn if you just spend, you know, Mm -hmm. five monies, you can give yourself a 10th turn because they kind of start every player with the ability to do that. But otherwise you kind of have to go out of your way to get extra turns. So most of the time you're going to have nine, 10, maybe 11 turns, unless you just really manage to just, just hit the bullseye. Mm -hmm. And in general, the game becomes for you how to get the most out of whatever quadrant or so of the field you find yourself on yeah mm-hmm. well this is by far the meatiest game we've talked about on here and i think it kind of shows in how we've kind of been jumping from topic to topic what we're what we really try to talk about on here is how does the game make us feel and and do we enjoy it and and are we going to keep it ultimately are we keep it yes or no so for me um i feel like this is vital serta's lightest game actually that we have in our collection maybe the gallerist, which we'll talk about at some point, the gallerist is, is pretty light fare for, for a Lacerda game. But when I say light, I mean, in this game, everything kind of thematically makes sense. We're, we're bank robbers trying to get out of the city. Uh, and we've got to go get our money and we got to get out on the third day. Here's a biker gang. That's going to help us out. Oh, we're running from the cops. Oh, now we're riding a helicopter. Like anyone who's even watched someone else play grand theft auto, can can visualize what this is like or seen any kind of of heist movie can visualize what's going on it here. does tell a good story as yeah. you play it through and i'm excited to play it with some of our friends who have maybe not really experienced a lacerta game and i don't necessarily want to drop kanban ev in front of them um <laughs> which is another game we'll talk about at some other point but I, I i think it's for me it's worth keeping just for that at the very least i'm not in a hurry to sell it Oh, how do you feel? Totally agreed. Yeah, it's I agree that it's lighter. It certainly plays faster. So if we're feeling like we want something Lacerda, yeah, it is nice to have this one as an option because we know we won't be at it for as long. And I definitely do want to play it with other actual humans because I always think that a robo player takes something away from the experience. This robo player is all right. Um, You know, her turn goes quickly and it's very clear what she does. And it's clear that she's there to kind of just mess with your two player plans. It would be nice to have that be an actual third person. And then maybe a fourth, you know, if, if I got crunked up enough, I might be willing to try with five. My math was a little wrong earlier. I just, I've, as we've been talking, I've been calculating it out and I estimate that with five people, this would probably take about 13 hours to play. I, I don't know if I have it that in me, maybe if I'm feeling bold, um, but that's, I think that's where we're at right now. This is a keeper. It's not um, a guaranteed permanent keeper like maybe some of his other games. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good keeper for now. I think there's, I think I, I'm excited to play it with uh, more people. 
and and use this as maybe a springboard into other Lacerda games. It's the gateway game. <laughs> right. It's a Vistal Lacerda uh, gateway game. Um, and, and I've got a saying, which is, don't start a Vital Lacerda game that you can't finish in 30 minutes. Again? Again with this. <laughs> Well, now that was fun. I really enjoy theft. You, uh, you know I'm recording, right? <laughs> you know I hit, I, I literally like looked, I went three, two, and made the silent one thing. So, but like, there's nothing we can do now. This is record. There's no way to delete. So I guess, what would you like me to do with this large amount of cash that you totally legitimately obtained what i wish i could do right now is actually pull up the app for stop thief and play the sound (laughs) of the glass smashing and the footsteps (laughs) walking away uh so uh there we go yeah that was good that was a that was a nice trio of no a quadro of crime i don't think quadro is the word quartet quadro okay of crime themed games I'm looking forward. I can't wait to see what we do on our fourth episode. I won't really know until it's done. And then we'll look at each other and we will say that was our fourth episode. That's exactly how it's going to happen. It's it's going to, it's at this point, we could just do it in our sleep. In Nobody fact, I've got that. some good ideas. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to, we'll just have to turn, turn the volume down just a little bit. Okay. Don't worry. I got you. I understand. You want me to pull him away from the mic? I'm on it. Fine. Well then, dear listener, I'd like to say on the way out from all of us to the single one of you, (laughs) thank you for honoring us with your ears. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) A little creepy, Paul. I'm not... See how that sounds. This is one from my childhood, folks. This is one from Laura's childhood. If you're listening to this before the one where we talk about the game from my childhood then you're about to hear the one from my childhood. If you're listening to the one after about the one from my childhood. So I can also just change my emphasis so that that's, I say, this is the game from my childhood. That's and probably, then we can choose which one to use depending on the order that we put it. That's probably in. a better idea. Perfect. So we're here with Clue, the great museum caper. This is the game from my childhood. Boy, that's a weird way to say that. <laughs> Do we want to try it one more time? Ha <laughs> ha.